Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. For those who don't know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a type of cancer that begins in the lymphatic system, which is part of the body's germ-fighting immune system. And joining us from Tennessee to tell his story is Doug, along with his wife, Becky. They don't want their last names used, so we won't. Folks, thanks for joining us. Now, Doug, you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2018. Was that the same time as an oncologist said you had terminal leukemia and would be dead within a year if you didn't take chemo? That's correct, yes. Mm-hmm. It was after, after a hospital stay but uh, where, where they did plenty of tests, including bone marrow and lymph biopsy. And yeah, that's that's exactly when. So you had two different diagnoses. One was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and one was leukemia. I mean, who was right? Well, they're in my case, they're the same. They're the, they're names for the same disease. I, I my non non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a small cell. It, it depends on where you look, but you can find it written as as small SSL slash leukemia. It's, it, it is a, a blood cancer, uh, mm. just like NA, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. It wasn't told to me as leukemia. It was told to me as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, SSL. And I found out the, the path to uh, find, you know, calling it leukemia through my own research. Ah. Uh. On all the documentation from the hospital, when they did diagnose Doug, they have SLL for small cell, and then they have CLL, which is chronic lymphocytic lymphoma, and they also call it um, leukemia. So it's just the same thing called by different things. And when the oncologist spoke to me about it, he said, this is something you'll have for the rest of your life. You know, he, he didn't give any hope of remission at all from the beginning, and it was... You're going to have this for the rest of your life. And if you'll be lucky to get a year, and if you take my stuff, I might get you five. But you have to take a chemo pill every day for the rest of your life, is what he told me. So they said you had a year to live if you didn't take chemo. Mm -hmm. If I didn't poison my blood with chemo. They They had three different types of chemo drugs that they wanted to administer to Doug. And all three of those, you know, he said, if you'll take all three of these, he said, I might can get you five years. If you don't take all three of them, he said, I'll give you a year. Those were the last words he said to us. I'll give you a year. What goes through your mind right then? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I think for for most people, it's a very fearful experience. And and fortunately, I was uh, not afraid at this point. I feel like 
the Lord you know, strengthened me in that regard. But I, I had had several experiences over the last 30 years with doctors doing removing or, you know, whatever different things to me where they misrepresent statistics and, you know, tell me it's a, 80% success rate when it's really a 20% success rate or mm -hmm. like when I had my thyroid operated on and, you know, the guy was just a surgeon and he cut part of my, what's known as the depression gland out of my body without any, I mean, he had no interest mm. in talking to me about the psychological effects mm. Uh, his was, I'm here to cut this out of you and you're on your own after mm -hmm. that. So I had those things. I had some spontaneous lung collapses in the nineties and that was a, an experience. It happened three different times. Uh, so I had some experience with doctors and I know mm -hmm. that they lie and I know they're in it for the money and that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And so when I heard that doctor, I, I wasn't scared frightened. I, I was determined to, to go the natural route and, and just, I, I was camping out there. And even though I didn't really know, you know, I didn't have a protocol laying out in front of me because mm -mm. it was like hiking the Appalachian trail with a flashlight, uh, <laughs> trying to weed through the information. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things we used was B 17, which is, synthesized as laetrile. Some in your audience may have heard of laetrile, but at the time we looked it up online and there were, it might be seven articles telling you how dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. And you might find one mm -hmm. that, that supported mm -hmm. uh, what you thought about it. And uh, it was, it was a tough thing to do, but I wouldn't, you know, looking back, wouldn't have changed the thing except, you know, talk. I wish I had somebody like me to talk to. Right. But I'll, I'll tell you, he, he might not have been fearful, but I was like a deer in headlights and it scared the life out of me. I was mm -hmm. just, I was almost paralyzed from it. It was so terrifying. Uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, what life would be like without my husband. We pretty much just grown up together, you know, best friends. And it was terrifying. And, and I asked the doctor, you know, he was sitting, the oncologist was sitting with us and and it was really like a big sales pitch, but he, he was, he kept using the word, we're going to treat your husband like this. And we will treat your husband with this. And we'll use this treatment. And finally, when he got through with his sales pitch, I said, you know, we keep hearing the word treatment come out of your mouth. I said, I haven't heard the word cure one time. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, there's no cure for what your husband has. And that was just, you know, that was devastating. I just, how could there not be a cure for, you know, as smart as you guys supposed to, that you're supposed to be, you know, uh, why isn't there a cure for this? Uh, so it was, you know, Doug, he was the calm in the storm, but I was, a, I was a basket case initially. No, Doug, bef before you went to the doctor, what sort of symptoms were you experiencing that caused you to, to see a medical professional? Well, this was 2018, and I went to a doctor, my local General primary care physician, mm -hmm. so to speak, in August. And we ended up that appointment with her saying, I think you have lymphoma. 
to which she said, I'll make an appointment with an oncologist, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I, at that point, start, I changed my diet. I said, I'm going vegan. I'm going to try to achieve alkalinity and not, you know, whether it's eating or attitude and, and things like that. And then also looked into herbs. I started looking into herbs and what they do and, and things like uh, lymph cleanses and so forth. And, and my status was all lymph glands were swollen. I was having trouble digesting because of the real estate lack. And things just gradually got worse until the end of October when I, I crashed and basically had all the symptoms of congestive heart failure, mm -hmm. but not because of my heart. It was because of all the organs that were failing. Uh, every organ was involved. I, my uh, liver was twice its normal size. It stuck out under my ribs. I could touch my liver. Uh, wow. My gallbladder, my spleen, everything had lesions. And I had the, the oncologist, after I went into the hospital at the end of October for two days, they did all kind of tests, including the biopsies, and um, said that I had a, a volleyball-sized displacement in my abdomen. And that's part of the reason why I, I couldn't eat. It was as if I had, was full and, and starving at the same time, and it was mm -hmm. really a strange feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, in a way, it helped me because uh, I had to go through a s several months of whining. I talk about whining over the weather, but um, <laughs> yeah, I would go that's in, right. Yeah. I'd go into the into the grocery store with with Becky, and I say, "I can't eat any of this." I'd look around, you know, I'd just go down up and down the aisles looking at things I can't eat, and you know, it was it was hard to to do mm -hmm. that, but. Uh, that that's been a big factor in, in my, my healing is, is that I've limited what I, you know, what I eat. Well, he eats organic. Yeah. Everything is organic. Plant-based Plant. food is what he yeah. eats and he'll eat that way till the good Lord calls him home. And I'd rather do that than take a chemo pill. Right. But what initially got us to even go see the general practitioner was in the summertime, Doug had had a, a broken foot uh, that he broke in, uh, March, and he had been non-ambulatory for months and months. It wasn't until June, uh, end of June, that he was able to actually put weight on his foot and walk some. And he had just turned 60, and it was always been a very fit man, just, you know, always in great shape, very muscular fella. And we were sitting out by the pool one day, and um, and he raised his arms up like this. And when he did that, his armpits looked like they had softballs in them. And I thought to mm. myself, I didn't say anything to him. I thought, oh, he's not been able to move. He's just turned 60. And because he's not been able to move, he's just getting fat and saggy. Um, <laughs> and I, so I didn't say a word to him about that, you know, because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And then it was about two or three weeks later, we were sitting back out by the pool and he raised his arms up again. And that's when I thought, you know, that's not normal. And so I said, what's up with your armpits? And then I didn't know it, but um, that evening when he went to the shower, you know, he mashed on them and looked at them and they were hard as rocks. And so the next day he, we were traveling somewhere and he said, well, I checked out my armpits and I went, you did? And he said, yeah, they're hard as rocks. 
And the minute he said that, there was just like a pit in my stomach. And I knew right then that that something horrible was wrong. And so we called the general practitioner and start, that's what started the ball rolling. But our ambulation, our ability to move around is what moves our lymph. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like blood that has a pump. Mm-hmm. So. so he was just becoming stagnant. You know, his lymph system was failing because he had lymphoma. And we didn't realize this, um, but for years, Doug had been sweating, having not sweats. And and every morning he would get, get up in the morning and he'd say, will you wash my pillow again today? And I think, well, I just washed it yesterday. But that, you know, that's a symptom. If, if your listeners are having not sweats, you know, that's a problem and you need to be checked out on that. So that had happened for years. And then he also had uh, swollen lymph nodes in his uh, inguinal area, which is where your legs meet your trunk. And he would go to his general practitioner at that time. And the only thing that guy did was prescribe antibiotics, which, you know, we had no idea that that was just throwing gasoline on an already blazing fire. You know, everything that was was going on it was like a big snowball just rolling down the hill getting bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually he just crashed and you know from the foot experience uh having the foot broken that really just caused we believe everything to just um, accelerate accelerate very very quickly and looking back on it now i think that was a blessing but at that time you know i had no idea what was going on so when you left the office and you've had this this uh, diagnosis and they're telling you that they how they're going to treat him and stuff, what did mm-hmm. you do next? How did you get on this natural path of trying to get well? Well, when I was in the I was in the hospital for those two days, I didn't eat anything. I, I'd already committed to the diet because he uh, didn't want to eat that gross hospital uh, yeah. stuff that's not really food that causes you to still be sick. You know, what they feed you is trash. And the fasting then helped me. I I started realizing that I need to look into fasting and and that I applied that and I still do every day. Mm -hmm. The meeting with the oncologist was a week or so after I was uh, dismissed from the hospital. And like Becky said, he sat down and it was a we had to wait for him to power up his laptop and, you know, get the PowerPoint presentation and everything. And I was skeptic, skeptical from the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, as you can probably guess, mm-hmm. but he had his, his pitch. And when he, he could tell I wasn't buying it. And I said at one point, um, what's your hesitation? And, you know, that's one of those things you think about. I have a million answers now, but, <laughs> but at the time I didn't. I would, but, have, I would have said, I don't trust you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, what started us on the um, natural path, you know, we went to the, the general practitioner in August, August the 14th. And on August the 15th um, is when we began an organic plant-based diet. And I had zero clue of how to feed him uh, because he did have, uh, a lack of real estate in his uh, digestion system because of the enlarged tumors, um, enlarged organs. And so I had no clue what to feed him. And I had, we, we kind of built a team around us of folks that uh, we had a, a couple who healed naturally 44 years ago from brain cancer. And mm. they, they got into the 
health business. And so they kind of helped us, but we kind of, we built a team of all kinds of different folks. Like we found a lymphatic therapist who does uh, assisted lymphatic therapy. and She was on our team. And so all these different people were telling me different things to feed Doug. And I just was clueless. And so finally I just got, I was so confused and it was just a, a very uh, stressful time that finally I just said, well, you know what? I'm going to feed him like he's living in the Garden of Eden. And I figured if that's good enough for Adam and Eve, then it's going to have to be good enough for Doug. And so that's what we did. You know, we he, we still juice. He, he juices and has a vegetable juice every single day. And, you know, we just try to flood his body with proper nutrition. So our, our intent was to kill the cancer. And as we killed the cancer, you know, detox, and then from the detox, then we had to nourish the body so the body would fight and have something to fight against. Because we knew from the little bit of uh, education that was transpiring at that time that chemo was going to kill the bad cancer, you know, the bad cell, and it would also kill any good healthy cells. And I thought, well, that'll just completely deplete his immune system. And how can he fight if he doesn't have an immune system? So our, our goal was to really hit the body with nutrition in all types of ways as we were trying to kill off the cancer with cancer-killing herbs and things like that. When you were taking this nutritional food, could you feel the volleyball-sized tumor in your abdomen decreasing over time? No, I really couldn't feel it decreasing. There, there were some you know, events, so to speak some bleeding, uh, passing of blood and that sort of thing. But I didn't really feel the tumors leave. Uh, I did get confirmation that they had left through a, a scan that we did some months later. I, did, I hope that I've answered your question. I, yeah. you know, cancer is a metabolic disease. And if you understand the word metabolism or, you know, what our metabolism is, you, you can affect it with mm -hmm. what you take in uh -huh. and cancer is a metabolic disease, just like heart disease is a metabolic. It's, you know, we cause it to ourselves and I didn't know this then. And I, uh, but we can cure it ourselves. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it just mm -hmm. makes sense. The only problem is they make 60,000 per, per treatment. And, and that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's what you're up against. Mm -hmm. Yep. Besides the uh, diet, you, you were doing like herbs and stuff. What kind of stuff were you doing? When did cannabis first come into the picture there, et cetera? I had pain and so forth with my broken foot and my torn uh, Liz Frank joint. I started with cannabis then and continued throughout. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've done a little research on it uh, over this this period of time and it used to, you know, hemp and cannabis used to be more prevalent in the natural setting. As a as a herbologist, I, I've been intrigued by this. And, you know, the poultry, the cows, pigs would eat it. And we would get nutrients from the cannabis through that food that came from the cows or from the mm -hmm. chickens or the pigs. Mm -hmm. And we had less of an incidence of cancer rates in our in our world now of course we have a lot of things that directly cause cancer but but just you know to get back to your question on cannabis i believe that it is what 
helped the most with the detox and the nourishing, mm -hmm. which are the two pronged approaches mm -hmm. to healing from cancer. Uh, and so, yeah, we just applied it. It, it was always uh, usually ingested, sometimes in oil form, but also in its dry form. Mm -hmm. When you ingested it, was it uh, done orally or via suppository? I've done both. Mm -hmm. I can see the benefit of uh, the, the suppository over the, the oral uh, because you can get a blend. Uh, you can get a blend that way, and that's I've, I've come to find out that's important. Well, and then, of course, doing it via suppository mm -hmm. in the manner that we were taught to do it, then he doesn't have the high, and he was, mm -hmm. you know, he was able to function in life, which is, that was necessary. Yeah. Functioning's good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Functioning much, is good, how yes. How much cannabis would you say you did a day, approximately? And did you just do it once a day, or would you do it several times a day? Usually once or twice a day. Mm -hmm. And I, in terms of the oil, it would be maybe a milliliter and less than a milliliter. And then in terms of, of the dry, it would be probably a portion of a gram, uh, a fifth or a sixth of a gram mm -hmm. uh, during, for the course of the day. You know, one of the things that uh, we've found in interviewing hundreds of people, and Corey's found this over the 11 years she's been doing this, is that when people have cancer, uh, invariably, if they change their diet, they're far more successful. And, and I mean, some people, God, Corey, who was that guy that we interviewed who drank a dozen sodas a day? Oh, no. oh yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah. Uh, yeah, the food that a lot of people, most people consume today is uh, toxic. And that's why cancer rates are on the rise. That, and uh, people don't realize that it is the nutrition you put in your body that can make you healthy. Or make you sick. Or make you sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a very true saying. And, uh, I mean, Doug, you're a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, were yeah, you I overweight? Were you yeah. overweight before you... Uh, before you undertook this uh, change in diet? Um, well, I was, uh, like in college, I was around 200, 190, and that was, that was a good weight for me. I had gotten up to about 235, and I felt like I was a little overweight. Of course, I was carrying around a lot of backup, you know, with these, mm -hmm. all this swelling. Mm -hmm. But I got down to 180 uh, during the during the whole struggle, and it was, you know, I, I looked like one of those POWs, mm -hmm. and um, muscle mass left, mm -hmm. and it, it was it was amazing to watch it come back. And you you'd ask a question about feeling the tumors, and mm -hmm. I was surprised at how quick a turnaround mm -hmm. things started because. It would be, I would say, and I think both of us would say, we, we felt uh, a sigh of relief in January after the October hospital stay. Well, from October of 2018, 
all the way through Christmas. At Christmas time, our children and grandchildren were here, and we were outside. And I remember looking at Doug, and he had a green tint to him. He was so yellow looking because his liver was failing. And he was, uh, you know, we were doing the diet. We were doing everything that we were trying to do to turn this ship around. But he had a green tint to him. And I remember standing there looking at him, and I thought, and I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, this is my last Christmas with this guy. I'll never have another Christmas with him. And uh, by the third week mm -hmm. in January, I thought, huh, he might, he might pull through. But I mean, we had, we, we went through all types of things. Like we didn't realize that when you have broken teeth or any, any dental problem at all, that the incidences of, of um, getting lymphoma is huge. You know, um, the Lancet Medical Journal has uh, did a many studies on it uh, that like w with a group of 1500 that over 40 percent of them who had broken teeth developed lymphoma. And that was astonishing to me. Um, so, you know, we had to get teeth fixed. He what well, because of his tumors in his abdomen and the big organs in his body, he developed what they call MALS which is medium arculate ligament syndrome. And in, in layman's terms, that's a compressed celiac artery. Medical establishment would go in and snip that artery, the part that's, you know, that is compressed, they'd snip that and get rid of it and then try to reattach it. It's rarely successful. But we, did, we went for the chiropractic route to try to align his body and you know, get him better aligned. And when you were asking the question about did he feel the tumors leaving, the chiropractor, of course, she was aware of everything that was going on with Doug. And after he had been having many, many chiropractic treatments, I, I would say probably two or three months of going to see her once or twice a week, she came up to him and she said, I can feel the tumor softening inside of you because she, you know, she was really pushing down on him in all kinds of different ways to align mm -hmm. his body. And she could feel those things softening up. So we knew from that, that there was some positive things happening. And then like he was talking about how he looked like he was uh, a POW, you know, he got down to where he just looked like uh, when I would look at him, I would think this is what they're talking about when they say that cancer just eats you from the inside out because it literally looked like he was just being eaten away. He he wound up looking like he was a 90-year-old man all hunkered over and just skin and bones. But as we continued to attack the cancer to kill it, detox it, and then nourish, you know, his body responded just like the good Lord intended for it to respond. And you know, it, it was a, a, a slow yet sort of looking back on it, it was kind of a fast process. But, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it seems like it goes on forever and ever and ever. Doug, when Becky mentioned that uh, when she looked at you, she thought this would be the, the last Christmas together and uh, you were very frail, you were yellow. Did you have any doubts in your mind that what you were doing was going to work? I don't know how to answer that, really. I I guess I left my future to my creator. I guess that's the best way to say it. Mm. You know, I was trying to do everything I could the right way. And, and I just, just uh, in my heart, knew that 
I was doing the right thing and come what may, I guess is, mm-hmm. is my approach. I, I really did not trust the the professionals and that helped. In my Becky, opinion. how does his armpits look today? Uh, they look normal. They don't look like softballs. And, uh, it was kind of like, you know, you've seen a skull can in the back pocket. Yeah. It was like that, you know, or a pacemaker. You've seen pacemaker. But from this experience, uh, Doug became a master herbalist. Mm-hmm. And then I became a lymphatic therapist. And so now I give him the lymphatic therapy when he needs it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's been a, it's been a trip. <laughs> It has been a trip. Yeah. yeah. Well, you look great. I think we should enter you in the Boston Marathon. <laughs> there was this guy, Terry Fox, back in the 70s, I think it was, where he re- tried to run across Canada to. Yeah, Terry Fox. Yeah. To... Yeah. 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 I was thought from... about revisiting that, you know. Yeah, he was from Vancouver. He had cancer and he made it as far as Thunder Bay, Ontario. He, he went a couple of thousand miles, but yeah, he was just a young fellow. Yeah. yeah 17, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you have a wonderful story and I, I hope people take heed to what you said because with cannabis and good nutrition, Amen. you can become extremely healthy. Yes. And live a long, productive, healthy life. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you're well on the way. And Becky, I think you've got a lot more Christmases ahead of you. I, I hope so. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I think so. I'm very, I'm very grateful for every single day. Yeah. I would have never wished cancer to come knocking on our door. 20 years ago, my sister lost her husband to a glioblastoma. Mm. Uh, which is a brain cancer and and she did all the all this research and she's the one that told me she said Becky you either get sick with food or you get well with food and of yeah. course when I say food when I say food you know I include cannabis in that I include all the herbs you know that God created for us to use for our bodies to be healthy you know I think there's a reason why we have all these receptors in our body that match up with the plant you know, it yeah, wasn't exactly. It's not because of some who, uh, you know, no, it's not a chance thing. It was a it was a perfect design. Yeah. Wonderful story, guys. And uh, we're so grateful that you have chosen to talk to us and tell your story and that you're healthy. And Doug, I think you'll do very well in the Boston Marathon. So keep it up. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you so much, Doug and Becky. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Before we go, I want to let our listeners know that you can help us spread the word about the amazing, often life-saving health benefits of cannabis just by sharing the podcast, writing a review, or rating us. We very much appreciate uh, the help of everyone who's done that already. And we really like the five-star ratings. We'd also like to thank those of you who support the show by making a one-time donation or a monthly donation on our Patreon page, which you can do for as little as $5 a month. It helps to keep us running. You'll find out how to do that on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thank you for your support. It means so much to us. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. 
For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, cannabishealthradio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.